Hey, Zach. Hey, Steven. So, Steven, something that I feel like... Um, it's it's a very quintessential Swedish thing. Uh, you probably haven't had this in America. Is a uh, cheeseburger? I think you're incorrect. I have had a cheeseburger <laughs> several times. Are you sure that you've had a cheeseburger? I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> uh, so Sweden has this thing. It doesn't look like anywhere else does it, but it's a halloumi burger. I'm not pronouncing it right. Um, according to cheese.com... <laughs> Halloumi is a salty, savory, chewy, semi-soft cheese uh, made from cow, goat, and sheep milk. Okay. From what I've seen, uh, this Halloumi burger, which is literally just like a patty of fried cheese, (laughs) and then the rest of it is a normal burger, but you don't have a meat patty. It's a fried cheese patty. Um, and it's primarily available at Max, which is, uh, like just a Swedish fast food place with like slightly better ethics than McDonald's from what I can tell. Um, but the student union at my school also serves it. I feel like that should be a thing in America. Like maybe not on a burger, but like just, I'm, I'm imagining like circular patties of fried cheese, like cheese curds, but like hamburger sized. And that sounds excellent. Yeah, it, it was good. I liked it. So I think we can make a few dollars, Zach, selling, what, what was it? <laughs> Halloumi. Halloumi. But I also, like, I saw it and I thought it was breaded fish for two months. <laughs> the first two months that I was here, I, because that kind of sounds like halibut or something. I figured close enough and didn't consider it. Eh, it's fish. Who knows fish names? <laughs> <laughs> Did they have lettuce on that cheeseburger? Yes, they also had cheese. They had cheddar cheese on the cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> but there was lettuce. Did it happen to be iceberg lettuce? I didn't ask. Well, Iceberg Improv is a is a improv group on my okay, campus. Okay, so so I shouldn't so I shouldn't say no when you ask if it was iceberg lettuce. Uh, I should yes and yes, it was iceberg lettuce and romaine lettuce. <laughs> That's how yes anding works. <laughs> Uh, no. Uh, anyway, the Iceberg Improv is a, uh, comedy group on, at UW-Madison, and they are very, very good. Um, there are four teams. There's the first year, second year, third year, and fourth year teams, and they're all hel- hilarious. So. Awesome. If you're ever in town during a show, you should definitely stop by, because they're really, really good. And that's like a school activity? Um, I'm not sure if they have any UW funding. All right. And I'm not sure if they're competitive either. My guess would be no, but I... Is there competitive improv? Yeah, it's like, uh, it's like acapella, but not. Theater sports? Yeah. What? This is amazing. (laughs) Oh, okay. And it actually derives from comedy sports, which is in Milwaukee. Oh, I didn't know that. So apparently Milwaukee is one of the homes of theater sports. So Milwaukee has a competitive comedy troupe, I guess. All right. Milwaukee also shares with Madison uh, college and a college with a really old, outdated class management system. No, Zach, you're wrong. They updated it. You're wrong? They updated it. It's worse now. Okay, this will be my third and probably not final rant about 
the scheduling system at UW-Madison. I'm not sure about the other UW schools. They probably use the same thing. So it's time to pick classes again. So what the scheduling system used to be is that you would pick all your classes and pick which sections you wanted to be in. And if you didn't really care, you would just leave that unchecked. And the scheduling assistant would help you figure out a calendar that, or a schedule that has all of those classes. Okay. It would give you a big list of 150 different combinations of schedules uh, with no filters. How many classes do you have the option to take? Like, how many checkboxes are you checking for classes? Um, maybe, like, one or two a semester that you actually care about, like, which lecturer you get. Okay, so you say, I want these two classes for sure, and then give me whatever other classes fit in that schedule? No, you say, I want these classes, and if you want to narrow it down further, you can say, I want this discussion section and this lecture. Okay, I'm asking, how many classes are you saying you want? Oh, That you have a hundred different options. Four to five. It's a big school. Lots of options. I suppose. So, with the old system, you get that whole list of 150 options, and you could uh, use your arrow keys to scroll through and say, that's a bad one, that's a bad one, that's a bad one, that's a bad one. Maybe you'd find a mm-hmm. good one, and you'd write down that number. You couldn't okay. save it. You had to write down the number, which is fine. But if you re, if you ask the scheduling assistant to tell you the, the schedules a second time, like if you refresh the page, it would put mm-hmm. them in a different order, so you couldn't refresh the page. <laughs> Okay, so okay. scrolling through, you find a few that you like, and then you compare them. You can't go, you can't switch between them easily. You have to scroll all the way through. Mm-hmm. So if you find number three, number fifty-three, and sixty, you had to yep. <laughs> go all the way through oh, to compare boy. them. So that's why you take screenshots. So I'm getting better at this. Yeah. I'm finding better ways to do it. Now, UW looked at this and was like, "Yo, this is bad, and it looks bad." Mm-hmm. What the IT guy who redesigned it heard was, it looks bad. Okay. So now... Yep, I see where this is going. (laughs) So now, it looks a lot prettier. That's good. However, it uses the same system where you can't filter any schedules, and it takes a while. It takes approximately 10 seconds to load the graphics for the calendar. So instead of flipping through all 150 schedules, like one a second, if you're actually looking at it, now mm-hmm. you have to wait 10 seconds between each changing the schedule. Oh, that... It's bad. And, oh, also the breaks, like you can schedule breaks, like I don't want any classes during... but mm-hmm. I don't want any classes before 10 o'clock, that kind of thing. Yeah. That is now hidden. <laughs> you have to go into three submenus to find that. Oh my gosh. But yeah, it looks, it has colors now. That's cool. Cool. I, I was all ready to say, man, I don't see what your problem is. I could schedule it. I actually just scheduled it all myself. I didn't have an assistant. But also, um, I have, like, each class that I could take, especially now that I'm up into the 400 and 500 level classes, mm-hmm. there's only one time that they have them. <laughs> yeah. And they don't have discussions. Yep. So I just made an Excel sheet. And said these are the options. There's like 10 maybe. And blocked out time. And yeah, so like I just prioritized a couple classes. Like I have a professor that I know I want to take her class Mm -hmm. again. Take a different class, but with the same professor. That's another thing. Is that if you're doing the checkboxes to narrow it down, you Mm -hmm. can only pick a combination, lecture and discussion. So 
you can't say I want this lecturer, but any of the discuss any of the discussions. Oh yeah, you have to say I want that that discussion and that lecture. So if you're hmm. trying to find one with just that perf- with just that lecturer, you have to say let's try this one. Nope, let's try that one. <laughs> nope, let's try this one. <laughs> Meanwhile, and. The, the worst part of this is that 10 seconds to render whatever page they're going to show you, that doesn't include the time it actually takes to ac- access whatever database they're using. That's more like 30 seconds. So if you... Wait, so is it animations that take so much time or is it just like it's not there's an- so much WebGL on this page that it doesn't load? There's no animations. There's no WebGL. I don't know why it takes so oh. long. I actually cannot figure it out because it doesn't access any database because it already has all those queued up. Mm -hmm. But I have to assume it's just rendering the page, but it must be doing it in like 17 for for loops. (laughs) Uh, It's bad. And I don't want to talk about it anymore. Okay. Can I quick cut in and say that I'm super proud of the schedule that I do have figured out? Sure. Um, Because it's, it's a honors discussion on machine learning. Okay. Um, uh, linear algebra with that professor I like, and it starts uh, every day at 9.30, except for Friday, which is entirely free. Um, I've got a consistent break between 11 and 12.30 every day, nice. and then uh, every day for sure ends by 3.30. That sounds very nice. It's a, It just looks gorgeous. <laughs> uh, so I'm excited, and I really hope I can get into those classes. So if I did, I could put my schedule onto like paper or something. That's not how I work, but some people do do that. Um, if you were to put your schedule on paper, I'm guessing you would write it with some sort of fancy pen on your legal pen that you just tear off. I'm not letting that go, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, I probably would. <laughs> I, I still hold that that is a superior uh, method for storing information, but... Um, Zach is trying to segue me into talking about uh, my experience in a Montblanc boutique. So recently, I took a day trip to Chicago and did a little shopping. I was downtown, so I was passing a bunch of high-end boutiques like Gucci, Rolex, Tom Ford. uh, You know, stores that don't have price tags because if you need to know the price, you can't afford it. And stores that have a dress code so that the commoners can't get in. (laughs) <laughs> is that like a water tower area yeah yeah the michigan avenue mm-hmm. um i i don't like that and I'm not, I'm not sure if the sarcasm in my voice uh carried through the microphone but i do not like uh <laughs> gucci rolex and tom ford i think that that style of product is not i'll just say i would not buy any of those products okay if I like if if I had money if I had enough money to afford Gucci Rolex and Tom Ford okay real quick I, I still you need would to not. stop because I don't know what uh, Tom Ford does clothes but like okay just Google Tom Ford just do it and tell me right. Zach if they are incredibly stylish apparently they also make lipstick and sunglasses um I am digging this red suede suit jacket actually but that's uh, entirely a me thing. But are you digging it after you look at the price? No. What is the price for a red suede suit jacket, Zach? Uh, their cashmere suede western jacket is uh, coming in at a cool $6,000. Yes. So, let's see. Uh, I, I mean, I don't... Who spends $900 on a sweater? What the heck? Yeah. 
And I'm sure if you go to the lipstick and sunglasses, they're going to have similar prices. Yeah. Whatever. It's not the point of the story. But <laughs> uh, near those stores is a Montblanc boutique. Is that how you pronounce it? I have no idea. I think it's Montblanc. Montblanc? Yeah. Because it's a French mountain. Okay, fair. Uh, Montblanc. <laughs> I feel Mont silly Blanc. saying that. Montblanc. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm passing it and I think to myself, like, I can't afford the air in this store. Let's check it out. At Montblanc? Yeah. They they sell pens. They're a pen maker. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a general pen catalog from a pen store in New York. And anytime I want, like, somebody hears that I'm into pens, and I want to just absolutely shock them because they're like, well, I got my Bic pen and that works well enough. What yeah. more would you need? Um, I show them, oh, it's the, there's a run of... Um, Wizard of Oz themed pens that are each like a thousand dollars and as a collective they're all you know five there's the Wicked Witch of the West and the blue one with the ruby tip and Mm -hmm. all that stuff Uh, so that's usually my shock and awe (laughs) pen to show them so that I think those might be Mont Blanc but the the second is always the Mark Twain Mont Blanc which is crazy expensive so yeah it's it's a very luxury pen producer Mm-hmm. So I walk into the boutique and they have like the uh, the two door system where you go in one and then there's a little room and then you open the other door and you stop and you make sure all the butterflies are off of you and yeah exactly. <laughs> so I walk in and there's an airlock system. The door behind you has to close before the other one will open. <laughs> like it pressurizes. I don't know. Like is the, there just more oxygen in the store so that you will feel good and try to buy things. I don't know. Uh, or less oxygen, so you make more dumb decisions. Yeah, maybe. Um, or maybe they just don't want drafts. Like, really don't want drafts. <laughs> and it takes... You gotta a... keep the nitrogen levels perfect. <laughs> it just takes a really awkward amount of time for the, the door to automatically close behind you, though. Mm-hmm. So you're just kind of standing there, and you're looking through the glass door at the manager who, like, is just sizing you up. <laughs> And when you can finally open the door, uh, I, I told the manager, like, I'm interested in checking out a pen. And he's very polite, and he shows me a, a few different models, and he asks me if I want to try one. So I say, yeah, I want to try one. And he comes back with a plastic-bodied pen, and he explains to me that it's a fountain pen. Okay, yeah. And he gives it to me and pulls out a notepad with a pretty okay paper. Mm-hmm. And I twist it off the cap like a pro. None of this trying to pull it off stuff. And... Uh, I put the cap back on the back of the pen, and I, p- and I told the manager, "Oh, that post's really nice." And he's now he's getting confused. Just, just to just to mess with him. Yeah. <laughs> um, he looked a little bit surprised, but he's not going to show that for too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote a few strokes, and it was really nice. I'm not going to lie; this is a very nice pen. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to? Do you know exactly what kind of pen it is? No, he didn't tell me the name, and oh. we could probably uh, reverse engineer it. But yeah. Uh, and then I, I rattle off a few questions that I've heard on the pen addict and I really don't, didn't care the answers to. I just wanted to, this guy to know that I was serious about pens in general. Mm-hmm. Like what kind of questions? <laughs> uh, like, uh, cause I'm, I'm planning on going to the Lamy store. Oh, okay. If yeah. I go to Germany later. So I need to know what the questions are. Well, you can ask them, um, the grinding process because uh-huh. each, each of their nibs are handmade. Mm-hmm. Um, you can ask them uh, whether it's gold or just gold-plated. Mm-hmm. You, uh, what, what were the other ones? Um, you can make a guess that it's a medium nib, and you will almost always be correct. 
because most a lot the, of like, them in-store demos are mostly medium. Okay, yeah. Also, a lot of them have a letter imprinted on them somewhere. This one did not. This one, okay. I mean, it, it had the Mont Black logo, but like engraved into the pen and just but it's it's just a really really nice pen um and he answered all the questions and was very nice um and the whole time i knew i was not going to buy this pen oh yeah (laughs) and uh so finally i capped the pen and i asked him so how much is this going to put me back and he said seven hundred dollars to which I replied, I might have to come back and see how much money I've left at the end of the day. Then I handed the pen back <laughs> and left through the airlock again. <laughs> All right. Anyway, it was a good experience. Um, I definitely recommend uh, coming in with some fancy pen questions so that he doesn't treat you like a child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> See, and I also have, I've got the Lamy Safari, yeah. and I'm all out of refills, so I'm going to need to go in and get some refills for my Lamy Safari, and also if I end up looking at their really, really expensive pens, so be it. Yeah, so what you should do is ask to try the Lamy 2000 first, and then yeah. when you're done testing it, ask for some Safari refills. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So if you wrote, um, or I wrote, I suppose, with your new Mont Blanc and my new uh, Safari 2000 on... <laughs> Safari 2000 a, is not Lamy, a thing. Lamy 2000. Close enough. Um, if you wrote with those, where would you write? In my, in my legal pad, obviously. <laughs> okay. And then yeah. rip out the pages and store them that way. Yeah, makes sense. Um, For posterity. And I'm going to do that because the new Field Notes edition is too pretty. So I have in my hand the new Field Notes Coastal. It's gorgeous. It's really pretty. It has, uh, uh, we're going to put a link in the description and you should definitely look at it. This is one you should really, really look at because it is just beautiful. Uh, it, so I'm going to, so there's two styles you can get. You can get the East Coast or the West Coast and it has the the shoreline, I guess. Coastline? Yeah, the coastline. And it, the coastline spans the three books they send you. Mm-hmm. And on the books, on the cover, there is a, like I said, the shoreline, but the shoreline is uh, covered in like this holographic film. So it makes rainbows if you move it in and out of the light. Mm-hmm. And it has a little d- a depth chart on the side uh, in the shape of pluses. And it is really, really pretty, is what I'm trying to get yeah. at. And the paper inside is super nice. It's a dot grid with pluses. Ooh. So it's not a grid, but it's like the vertices of a grid are little pluses. But the pluses aren't screen printed on. They are, they're ink, so okay. that fountain pens will still work well. Like, there's nothing stop- stopping the ink from seeping in to the paper, mm-hmm. like, a, like a screen print would. Yeah. So you're... Not using them? I got them because, first off, they were pretty. Second off, I'm almost out of pages in my little pocket notebook, my little Rodia pocket notebook. Uh-huh. And Zach, I'm not sure if you can see this in there, but this thing is a little beat up. Right. From, you know, getting sat on because I keep it in my back pocket. And something I don't want to happen to these really, really pretty notebooks is them getting messed up by me sitting on them. I think they build the field notes for that, though. Not my... I mean, yes, they do. The field notes are rugged and durable. However, they still get beat up. They still get sat on. They get creased. Yeah, they tatter on the corners. And and, and if eventually, uh, like, after... What is it? They have 50 pages each. After you use 50 pages in a notebook, the cover is basically falling off. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to figure out a way to carry this around with me and have it at all times 
without putting it in my back pocket. Well, can't you have that? Don't you have your messenger bag notebook now? Yes, but school, as much as school is a part of my life, it's not like, it's not the only thing I do. Okay. I go places without my messenger bag occasionally is what I'm getting at. So also with your system, when you have to rip out all the pages of the that actually no that you can just you can just put the notebook and you can just binder clip the notebook the whole notebook okay. to it doesn't work as you don't want to keep the whole notebook if it's a um, legal pad because eventually you have too much paper that you have to fold over the top yeah but if you have a composition style notebook mm-hmm. then it's not a big deal. I don't have any great ideas. Me either. And I'm probably just going to have to do it. I'm just going to have to sit on the pretty notebooks. I'll, you know. You could not put it in your back pocket. Do they fit in my front pocket? Let's see. I've got a field notes that fits in my front pocket. Okay. I guess that fits. It fits like my phone does, unfortunately, which is just barely. Mm -hmm. I've I've had to carry around my passport every day Mm. since I got here, just because you're supposed to have it on you. Uh, And that is exactly the size of a field notes. All right, well, we'll try that and see. If it gets beat up, I'll just buy another set. Yeah, you should buy another <laughs> set right now. Yeah, I'll I'm the... actually going to, right when we're done with the call, I'm going to... No, Zach, you should, because it's really nice. I got the I know, after West seeing Coast... them in your hands, they're gorgeous. Yeah, I got the West Coast ones, uh, East Coast. I didn't like that Florida is so distinctive, but that's just me. Mm-hmm. I don't like Florida that much. The shape of it, that is, mm-hmm. should be a different shape. If you are a milk producer, a dairy producer, you can use a digital tool now to sign up for the Margin Protection Program for Dairy. The enrollment is now open. Uh, so it looks like if you need um, like federal milk making insurance or something. <laughs> uh, I love milk politics. This is our... <laughs> I say milk politics is our best uh, regular segment. Mm-hmm. I reject any notion that it is not. <laughs> um, so go sign up. I guess we'll have the link in case you are coming here for your milk politics news. <laughs> um, Hold on. And now I, I have to search something because I want to know if Worrying Bugs is the best milk politics podcast. Okay. Milk. I'm searching on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. We've got to start adding tags. Can you do that with podcasts? Uh, not as far as I'm aware. Uh, we might be able to like sneak it into the title. Like some some apps do that kind of thing where they're like, uh, my fitness pal, uh, a run and workout tracker, that kind of thing. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, we could probably do it in the description too. Oh yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, so there's Christopher Kimball's Milk Street. Uh, psychedelic milk. I'm not sure that that's actually milk. Uh, Milk the Cow podcast, which has no ratings. It's a philosophy podcast? (laughs) It's it's in the philosophy category? I don't think any more are popping up on the... It doesn't look like we're in um, immense competition on Milk Street, because it's by the guy who makes Cook's Illustrated and that whole line of products. And it's distributed by PRX, but nowhere does it mention anything about milk politics. It looks like it's just a dude talking about food. So yeah, I put forward that the Worrying Bugs are the best milk politics podcast. Okay. Oh, um, yes, I I forgot. We You cut me off halfway through that segment. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Mr. Economics, can you explain margins to me? Um, I think so. So, like... 
your marginal cost of a product. Okay. So uh, I guess you have two types of costs when you're making a product. You have a fixed cost and a variable cost. Mm-hmm. Or at least this is the these are the things I tell you in yeah, this is one, the, the economics 101 class. 101. Yeah. So there there are probably many more combinations, but yeah. In this one, so your fixed costs will be stuff like uh, a building for the cows to be in. You you pay mm-hmm. it once basically, and it doesn't go up. Okay. Would that also be like an Amazon Prime subscription? Uh, probably. Yeah, I think so. Because it's always going to be $99 once a year. I think so. And so your variable cost is something that you have, like, control over. Like, how much mm-hmm. labor you hire is going to be a variable cost. Okay. So your marginal cost is going to be, um, if you, like, if you have one unit of labor to, to two units of labor, the change in cost, so if you're paying them, whatever, make it, we'll do easy numbers, $100 a year. Okay. So you go from one worker to two workers, so you're, the the margin on that is $100. Mm-hmm. So your marginal cost is the change in quantity by h- hiring two workers. So if you go from producing uh, 20 bottles of milk to, uh, you know, 40 bottles of milk, Okay. the margin on that is 20 bottles of milk again. 40 minus 20, right. the change. Yeah. So it's the quantity over the cost is the marginal cost. The change in quantity over the change in cost. So in this case, it would be five. No, one-fifth. 20 over 100. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that makes a little bit of sense. Um, it seems like this is about uh, if the differences in national average feed cost exceed um, national average milk price okay by whatever ratio um and then i i wrote down it in quotes because i didn't quite understand it um by default this margin protection program for dairy includes a no premium catastrophic coverage of a four dollar margin coverage level at 90 percent of established production history I don't think I'm far enough into economics to understand this. Okay. Um, my guess would be that... Okay, I'm trying to remember what you said. So, if you... If the... $4 sounds like some threshold for right. that cost uh, and uh, price ratio. Mm-hmm. And so, basically, if you're losing money, they'll give you 90% of what you would have made. Is that what I'm... Up to $4 per something. Yeah. That sounds right-ish. Because you could also start paying premiums and it would go up to $8 per something. Yeah. This is... Yeah, no, I don't... I did not understand that. Okay. I didn't either. <laughs> but um, if you did, you can let me know first. And second, you can go uh, sign up for your milk insurance. Milk insurance. That's the best. <laughs> There are some weird things that you can insure, I think. I think, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Jennifer Lopez. No. I think Taylor Swift had her legs insured. Yes. Yeah, I think uh, it might have been, I can't remember if it was Jennifer Lopez, uh, got her butt insured for a few million dollars. Like, if so, she lost her butt. If she misplaced it, she could, um... <laughs> if someone stole her butt, too. Yes, if someone stole her butt, she could get quite a hefty reward. Uh, insurance payout It's not a reward. <laughs> But this seems like a program and less of a special deal with your insurance company. Correct. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's it's in the name. It's a protection program. Do you think, um, Stephen, as a as a podcaster, really the only two things that you need are your vocal cords and your brain? A microphone is helpful. <laughs> <laughs> the only parts of your body, like oh, yes. you wouldn't need to get yeah. your button insured, but you might need to get your. Uh, I don't know if I can insured. stand for as long as we do this, Zach. We do we podcast for a long time. I don't know if I could like stand. I, we couldn't do a standing desk podcast. I wouldn't be able to do it. You could do like a leaning desk podcast. Just always have <laughs> both elbows on the table. See, if you watch The Office, I could make a fantastic reference right now. Okay, so now I'm deliberately not going to watch The Office, so we don't ostracize our listeners who don't watch The Office. So anyway, uh, now you've got your standing desk. No, but but. Um, do you think it would be a good idea to get your brain insured? Because that probably, it's got some custom linkages in there. It's got some okay. discrete pathways that nobody else could replicate. No, I don't think it's a good idea to get your brain insured. Because if you lost your brain, or if your brain was stolen, you <laughs> You'd have literally problems. have no use for any money at all. While Taylor Swift can technically live without her legs as long as they're removed properly... Mm-hmm. Taylor Swift cannot live without her brain. You cannot live without your brain. I cannot live without my brain. Although there was that one guy who uh, got a, like a, a stake driven through his skull. Phineas Gage. Yeah, yeah. And he lived for a few months, was it? I thought it was like years. Was it years? But it only, it only took out part of his brain. Yeah, so maybe you can ensure like the parts of your brain that make allow you to speak mm. that would be probably a better idea than your entire well, I think brain in, like the conscious thought part i guess i just kind of lump that in with literally all of your brain because it's not like i don't think that's a specific lobe like frontal lobe does decision making but it's not like analysis you know yeah it's not deep conscious mm-hmm. thought man <laughs> man <laughs> This was going to be a segue, Stephen. We're still there. It, we're still in the right mode. We didn't tangent off our segue. That's not a good thing. That's bad when we do that. <laughs> we're still on the same topic, mostly. Okay, so now I, that I've convinced you to talk about brains, <laughs> as much as you refuse the my feeble attempts at a segue to brains, I want to talk for a little bit about how how you describe your brain working because this is something that we talked about years ago now and i want to know if if college oh, if your yeah. economics class has changed the way that you think your brain works um i think a psychology class might have done that not necessarily an economics class economics is just psychology but applied with math i think it's sociology applied with math which is sociology is just applied group psychology cool <laughs> Anyway, uh, well, should we like talk about what our original conversation was a few years ago? Because it's a little bit different than what I had written down here. Yeah. Basically, I think the the general topic was like, how do you explain what a well, thought started, is? It started with um, discussion of like the kinesthetic style learner or auditory style learner. By the way, I looked it up. Um, Learning style publications have come a long way since we were in middle school. Really? Uh, now some recognize eight whole different styles of learning. What are they? Uh, so the original that we heard of were kinesthetic, visual, mm-hmm. oral, and shoot, what was the last one? No. 
Learn by tasting. <laughs> Fark. Visual, auditory, kinesthetic. Why are there four letters? Why are there four letters to Vark? If there's only three categories. You know, for the R and visual. Okay, so I guess there are only there were only three when we were in middle school. Could it have just been Vac and you just misremembered? No, I just looked it up. It's Vark. Why? What? <laughs> Rhetorical. No, the R is the R, R from auditory. Oh, okay. Vac. I guess Vark is a little bit better than Vac. It sounds a little bit better in your mouth. Feels a little bit better, I guess. But the R comes out of nowhere. Yeah, it does. Vyarki. Vyarki? That, at least it's consistent that way. No, because then it would be owl if you did the first two. Vialka. Vialka. <laughs> so anyway, there are those, uh, the Vialka that we've <laughs> come to know and love. Um, and then there's also linguistic. As in which like, just, you have to say it out loud? Yeah, you have to, you think about it as words. Okay. That Natural. Which is that you learn by being in nature. No, wrong. I disagree. <laughs> uh, logical, which is that you classify everything. Okay. Interpersonal, which is you learn by relating to others. And intrapersonal, which is that you learn by yourself. By relating to yourself. I guess, yeah. So like, oh yeah, the integral. It's like what I, when I uh, brush my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I'm not sure that th those two made the least sense to me, but um, anyway, those are the the new eight styles of learning that we have. Back to what we were saying before. Um, then the original conversation evolved into like how we think about certain concepts. Mm -hmm. Because one of those questions on the usual VARC categorizer is, if I say dog, what comes into your mind? And the answers are... Like, oh, well, the motion a dog makes, or uh, the sound of a dog, or... or uh, the word dog. Yeah. A picture of a dog. A um, picture of a dog, I think, is the usual. Yeah. So, and Zach and I both said something more like, it doesn't really trigger a image in my head, I think. Mm -hmm. It kind of just is a blob of thought. Yeah, an amorphous blob of dog. <laughs> so... And then I think we, like, spent six hours trying to figure out how to describe what it is. Mm -hmm. So I don't think we made a whole lot of progress with that, to be honest. I remember you described yours as, like, a big room with a computer terminal, and you could pull stuff from the computer terminal and put it up near you. I stand by that, mostly. Okay. Uh, when you say dog, I think about, basically, I I'm going to get into this, actually, um, mm -hmm. a, a list of dog things. So I, I think in terms of lists a lot. Uh, so okay. when you say dog, I think like the traits of a dog and the sound it makes, the how it looks, how it's spelled. Um, mm -hmm. Basically just things I know about dogs just get put in the short-term memory. So object-oriented must just be like a snap for you. It really is. I'm a fantastic programmer. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> um but yeah, I think in terms of lists a lot, um, but I'm also really bad at remembering in the short term and long term. Mm -hmm. So by the time I get to the bottom of the list, I usually forget what was on the top. <laughs> so, okay, what do I need to do today? Okay, so I need to study for that exam, uh, do that homework. Uh, do I have Latin? Let's go look. Okay, cool. Don't have Latin. What was I going to do again? <laughs> Gotta go through the list again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's how my brain works, is just a bunch of lists, um, and they just get released in back into long-term from short-term mm -hmm. memory, and it's easier to think about it that way, in my mind at least, 
where yeah. like and it's really good for puns where i can just be thinking about a thing and then be going on to something else and before it gets released into memory i make a little connection in my brain mm-hmm. but i'm not gonna make a connection between things that are in long-term memory yeah i'm not gonna make a pun on something that i've learned three months ago mm-hmm I think if I were to model my brain like that, the thing is most words have like their, uh, where the word came from, etymology, Mm. tied in with that. So that also points to other similar sounding words. Yeah, right. So that makes the puns even easier. So how do you, how do you describe your brain, Zach? I, I think that the, the connected nodes thing that we were talking about, mine is much more, I am in a space and there are other nodes connected and I can see the links between them more, but it's a very hard thing to do. So you have a graph basically, like not a, not like a pie chart, but like a Mm -hmm. computer science graph. Edges and nodes graph. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, I saw, I, actually, I saw a meme, which is what inspired all of this. It alluded <laughs> to uh, textual thinking as opposed to visual thinking, which sounds a lot more like what I do. It is, what I do is probably a lot closer to linguistic and logical than any of the VARC ones that they offered to us mm-hmm. earlier. Um, but I couldn't find anything on textual thinking except for a single 2006 Wiley research paper on textual thinking in foreign language. So I'm not sure where that phrase came from, where the meme got it. It's a meme. I can't ask the meme where it got that phrase. Right. But I want to know now, because that sounds like the way that I think much more than Uh, visual or kinesthetic. Right. And I think it's a little bit different. Uh, I usually describe myself as an auditory learner, but that's not how Mm -hmm. I think about things. I learn things with my ears better, Yeah. but it's not how I think about them. I feel like I had something to say. I can't remember exactly thinking about dogs okay (laughs) let's let's move on and now a psa from the worrying bugs sweden is not switzerland this is ben a public service announcement from the worrying bugs spotify had their initial public offering in the new york stock exchange recently oh no i don't know i don't like where this is going Spotify is a Swedish company. And so, you know, to respect that, Spotify, they're having their big IPO. They're a pretty big company. Uh, So the New York Stock Exchange puts out two American flags right in front of it and one Swiss flag. Not a Swedish flag. (laughs) And somebody tweets at them and says, hey, that's not right. And they say, oh, well, I guess our flag guy must have been a little distracted listening to all all this music on Spotify. And then they change the flag. That's awesome. Speaking of music streaming services that I don't use, uh, YouTube is one of those. (laughs) And Zach posted something on YouTube. Not music. Not music. I mean, a little bit music, but mostly not music. I got done with the June vlog. Shockingly. I really was not expecting to be done with it. (laughs) Um, So the story goes, I really hate my Cisco class. And I was taking it and something was not making sense and there were commas where there did not need to be commas. What the heck are they doing? This is a thing that I am paying for and lots of students are using. Why are there commas there? And that didn't help my understanding. So I emailed the professor and said, hey, I don't understand this bit. And then figured I would step away from that class for a little bit. So I opened up um, 
premiere. I figured, why not? Um, I've been doing my three or four, four goals a month thing, mm-hmm. or not a month, a week. And one of those goals was to get all of the um, little individual segments edited out for that vlog. So I figured I would finish that up, and I did get it finished up, and then I went and checked my email, and it had been a couple hours, and the professor had not responded, so I figured I'd work on one of my other classes, and I went until I got stuck in that class, and then I went and I made Oreos, I made homemade Oreos, and then I came back, and neither professors had responded at that point, and so I went to bed. Next day, get up, the professor still hasn't responded. Uh, The other class, the non-Cisco class, the professor has responded, so I talked with him for a little bit. And get that sorted out. And now there's a bunch of free time and nothing to do. So I might as well work on the vlog. Mm -hmm. So I put the vlog all together. I start assembling it. And I work most of the day. I get one email from the Cisco professor. It says, your question was kind of confusing. Would you be able to state it more clearly? (laughs) So I sent back an email with the question just in different words. It wasn't, I wasn't sure what I wasn't understanding. So I wasn't sure how to ask the question. And I went back to working on Cisco. No, working on the video. And then I went to bed, and the next day arrives. And I have an answer from Cisco, but I'm still very annoyed at it. There's still commas in places. There don't need to be commas. And I'm scrolling through Twitter, and uh, a YouTuber that I follow, Thomas Frank, has posted a job application. So I go to, like, apply for the job. It's a job editing video. I figure I can do that. And he wants to see two pieces of video that you've edited. So I sent him one of my old videos that was more animation heavy. And then I wanted to send him the most recent vlog. Um, in the May vlog, I talk about um, stump f- And that's not the kind of thing you want to send to an employer. <laughs> so then I needed to get the June vlog done so I could send this guy the June vlog. So I finished up the June vlog, posted it, and then sent in my application. Alrighty. Also, usually I really hate the vlogs once they're up. Like, they go up, and right as I'm exporting them, I'm like, man, this is terrible. I could do so many things to make this better, but at that point, it's already exported. It's already up. It's already out in the world. (laughs) And this one, it took until a little bit after I had uploaded it for me to start really disliking it. So that's good news. That is good. So the impetus for that really was that I saw somebody post a thing on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and it pushed me to finish up that vlog. Uh, I saw something on Twitter too, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I'll put the link in the description, but it's a little comic by uh, Comets, Commit Strip. A, uh, <laughs> like, IT, no, like a, what would you call them? Uh, software engineering. Yeah, software comic engineering strip. comic. And it's the uh, it's the meme with the brain that gets bigger as mm-hmm. the ideas get worse. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is it's supposed to like show that someone like the the very small mind has a decent concept, and then if you were using the meme correct, like quote unquote correctly, if you were using it the way it's supposed to convey information, then as the brain got larger and bluer. Mm-hmm the information would become smarter. Right. Uh, but very quickly, this was turned on its head, so the information becomes dumber as you go up in brain size. Right. So the first, uh, this is, and it's all redone in the comet, commit, strips, commit strip style, which is mm-hmm. very good, actually. It's uh, very well done. Yeah. Uh, the first box is the smallest brain, and it says, all data stored in database. 
Okay. The next Good one, idea. with a slightly larger brain, all data stored in a Google Sheet accessible via API. You know, you can programmatically access it. Yeah, not a good idea, but whatever. It, it's better than the rest of them. Next one, it, with a brain that is too large for his skull, mm-hmm. is each user's data is stored as XML in a separate text file. Okay. Uh, which could work. Could work. Uh, basically, you'd say everything about this user is stored in this text file, and you'd try to access it like that mm-hmm. instead of all the users in one database. Yep. So with the brain that's turning into a galaxy, uh, a disk partition is created for each user with the user ID as the partition (laughs) name sized exactly to fit the required user data. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you want to like explain what that means and why that's a terrible idea? Yeah. So you've got your hard drive. If you want, you can take a little chunk of your hard drive and pretend it's a different hard drive that's partitioning it. So you would do that for each of the users but make them super duper small so that they are exactly the right size to fit the user's mm-hmm. data. Which is just not a task that hard drives were built for, so they aren't good yeah. at that. Also, if, they, if the user changes their data, then you're going to need a different partition, which hard drives are also not good at. It takes a long time to partic- partition a hard drive. Mm. Uh, okay, the next one, uh, where the brain is electrified and the face has lights coming out of it, mm-hmm. and math in the background... A group of developers learn user data by heart, and data is requested on demand via Mechanical Turk. Like the Coca-Cola recipe. Yes. Extreme security. Yeah. Uh, Next uh, one is uh, Galaxy Brain with lights coming out of it, and like... This is the smartest brain. This is the smartest brain. Interns use post-it notes to store the location of the base 64 encoded data within decimals of pi. All right. Makes sense. I saw this. It's really uh, storage efficient. Yeah, you just have you to store like, pi. Yeah. You can mm-hmm. just... Uh, <laughs> or you can... Store pi once and then a whole bunch of pointers to different places in pi. Exactly. Uh, so I saw this comic on Twitter and I didn't want to study for my math midterm, so I created this instead. I started... I tried to implement the system in the last frame. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it's not a good idea. <laughs> wow. Um, so I downloaded the first billion digits of pi from the MIT website. Okay. Put that in a text file and then wrote some Swift, uh, some quick Swift code con- to convert that into decimal, whatever you type in. Okay. And then I, or basically I, I used the, act, the ASCII character codes mm-hmm. and then I put them all into one string and did a search on the text file with the first billion digits of pi for that string. Yep. And okay, so results are that the first billion digits of pi probably contains a, a word with three letters. Okay. And probably, I'm going to say probably doesn't contain a word with four characters. Right. So then I tried to download the first 100 billion digits of pi, <laughs> which is a 50 gigabyte file, which wouldn't, <laughs> it, it wouldn't even be that bad though. Cause it, it was just for like a fun little thing. I would just put it on a separate mm-hmm. hard drive and access it for, for like, you know, two hours of my time of my day and then delete it. Yeah. But it is hosted on archive.org, which apparently <laughs> has a 200 kilobit connection. Okay. So it would have taken days to transfer the first 100 billion digits of pi. Can't you torrent most things on archive.org? Yes, but surprisingly enough, no one was no one was torrenting. Also, I can't do it on Mad- at Madison because they don't let you. 
they just block the protocol. Yeah, you could use a VPN, but I wasn't going to go to that much trouble. Yeah. I'm not going to get in trouble for the stupid side project. Anyway, um, so I started, so I just kept using the first billion digits and did some tests, and most of the time, the number, the, I just had it return the position, like the, it would say, this string starts on the whatever hundred, hundred thousandth, uh, mm-hmm. digit of pi. That number was usually bigger than the ASCII string you were trying to store. <laughs> so to reduce that size, I tried to find that string in pi. Mm-hmm. And then that one and that one and that one until it was... Smaller. Smaller. Until it was the size of an int. Yeah. Usually didn't work. <laughs> it usually The numbers usually just kept getting bigger. Huh. You'd think smaller sequences occur more. They're not getting smaller, though. So if you say, like... Uh, oh, store yeah. like your initials. That makes sense. You, that's uh, I'll have an ASCII code which is three characters or which is three numbers. Mm-hmm. So that's nine digits. So that's uh, boy, uh, that's a hundred million. Like it's between ninety nine nine hundred ninety nine million and zero. So the odds that you're gonna find that all in a row in the first million digits is mm-hmm. smaller, much smaller than the first billion digits, which is another which is another which will have another uh digit. Right. Okay, yeah. And if you have another digit, then the odds of finding that one in the first million is even smaller. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Anyway, it was a fun thing to do, but I do not recommend <laughs> it for actual data storage. Uh, and then I looked in GitHub, and someone has made this, but they made it uh proced- they had it generate pi uh procedurally. Rather just than keep having, generating pi until it finds it. Yeah, instead of having a text file to search through, which is a better idea. Yeah. You will have a, like a 5 kilobyte file instead of a 50 gigabyte <laughs> file. <laughs> Although it's a lot slower, so. So you had a problem, and you found the solution on GitHub. I would not call it a problem, but yes. It was a problem. It was a big problem, and they solved it with GitHub. Uh <laughs> You could do that. You could just store everything as private Git repositories. Oh, yeah. Duh. And then pull them down. That would be a much smarter post-it notes. Who needs that? You tanned into yourself. That wasn't even me that time. (laughs) So GitHub hosts open source projects. In general, I like to use open source projects if I can. And I had a chance to uh, when I was recently looking for a habit tracker because I realized that I was keeping track of like exercising and reading and that kind of thing, which don't really belong on Todoist. Right. But somewhere I would like to keep track of them. So I just downloaded the first free habit tracker I found. It was Loop. Was it awful? No. Okay. Uh, It's only on Android though. Yeah. All the iOS ones are awful. Just saying. They're probably not that bad, another? they're just expensive. Mm. But no, I'm not going to make another one. Because I've found another way to deal with that problem, which is not have a habit tracker, and to keep track of my habits in other ways. Alright. Alright, keep going. Um, but it works, and it and it does everything I need it to. I just list out the habits, and then say if I did them that day. And that's everything I expected. It also has reminders, so some of the things that I had reminders for, like, at the end of the day, I wanted it to remind me to journal Mm -hmm. and it does that but if you look up habit tracker and don't include the word android the only thing that comes up for me is an entire search result page for different bullet journal habit trackers yes for me as well 
Okay. Steven, do you think you can explain bullet journaling to me? Not like how they work. Also that, I suppose. First, how do they work? Uh, okay, well, they're, I think the whole point of bullet journaling is they're not supposed to work in one specific way, and you should, can customize it however you want. Okay. But past that, the basic one that, like, the example they show you is you make a dot on the page and say, mm. this is the thing I want to do, and you write that in. And if you do that, you write an X next to it. Or you, you cross off the dot you made so that it becomes yep. part of the X. Now, if you don't get to it and you want to do it tomorrow, you put a little arrow that points to the next page. Mm-hmm. Also incorporating the dot. It's kind of a good system. Yeah. And if you don't want to get to it tomorrow, but at some point in the future, you write a backwards arrow and then you write the habit, not the habit, the uh, the task in your... They have a, like a weekly list that you can mm-hmm. write it on. There's a whole, it's a whole big system and we'll probably link to it in the show notes because yeah. they have a whole, they do have a big system for it. Mm-hmm. But you can also write down habits and do little check marks or um, you can dedicate a whole page to it. So yeah, you can write down, write them in a list and then the columns can be dates mm-hmm. where you do that or not. Um, so why would people use a bullet journal? Um, well, I like it to help me figure out... My OmniFocus is big and hard to manage. Not hard to manage. It's easy to manage, but it's a lot to look at. Okay. Because uh, the way I do it, at least, I have everything I could possibly do in a list, mm-hmm. and then things I probably should do in the priority list. Mm-hmm. And in my bur- in my bullet journal, I write down the things I am going to do, or should do, or really should do. Okay. And that's basically what I've been using my pocket notebook for. Uh, but that's not how a lot of people use it. A lot of people use it more for the OmniFocus type things. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there might be like a, uh, I don't know, just a basic do- to-do list combined with like a, you can write down notes uh, and stuff. And I don't know, about your day, things you want to remember. I didn't like that part of it because it's not how mm-hmm. I use my notebooks, but it's whatever. Yeah. I I don't really understand it past what you're explaining of um, just this is the short list of things to do for today exactly. Yeah. And a lot of people do like it a lot. And I think if you if it sounds at all interesting to you, you should look into it because it enough people use it that I know it's a good system. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the The fun thing about it is that it is not a set system. Yeah. And you can do whatever you want with it. You can do that with most good to-do apps, too, can't you? No. No, I don't think so. To-do apps, like, push you in the... You're going to do your to-do lists like this. Okay. Like, Todoist doesn't have due dates. Yeah, it does. It just only has due dates. (laughs) But, okay. Point made. Point made. But I think there... For me, I guess the catch is that there are some things that people try and systematize with it that feel too big... Or just too annoying to not let a computer do. Like, oh, every four days I need to remember to water my plants. And once a month I need to clean my bed sheets. And Yeah, and that's... I think you're supposed to put that in the the not daily one, the mm-hmm. weekly one, and the monthly one, and the yearly one. And the idea is that if you see it and you write it down frequently, you'll just do it because you're sick of writing it down. 
That's okay. how it works for me. I hate it when my uh, pocket notebook has more than has the same thing for more than three days. Yeah, but then it feels more real than just hitting defer. Right. I suppose the thing I'm trying to drive towards is that there's a line between staying organized and on top of things and doing more managerial organization work than actual work. And I, think... I am probably closer to that line than I would like to admit. <laughs> But I think that people who spend time with protractors making their bullet bullet journals are on the other side of that line. I think you're missing the point. The people with protractors making their journals don't have enough work to do. Okay. They want to stay on top of things because they're bored, and they forget things because they're bored. So they make a a thing to do, uh, a thing that feels like work still, and Mm. is something to occupy the mind, but also keeps them on top of whatever work they need to do. Because most bullet journal systems are very basic, as far as I can tell. Like, the majority of people who use bullet journal are just people who like to keep track of things, but don't need a massive omnifocus to-doist system. Okay. But there are a certain subset who try to mimic omnifocus and to-doist on paper, which mm-hmm. seems like a really bad idea, because they do so much, like, for you. Omnifocus into do us do. Yeah. But I think that is why, like, they can dedicate more time to it because they want to do it. It's a hobby now. Okay. I guess then my Instagram view of bullet journaling is skewed. Yeah, it, it definitely is because no one's going to post their, like, uh, whole <laughs> no one's going to post this on Instagram. Please do. Make, like, a Steven stationary account and post that and your fancy new $700 Montblanc pen. <laughs> I will support that entirely. <laughs> or I'll make one for myself. But, uh, like, the way I do it, the way I do my bullet, bullet journal is the basically the same way, except with OmniFocus int- integrated, mm-hmm. which is at the beginning of the day, I look at yesterday's thing to see what I needed to carry over, mm-hmm. and OmniFocus to see what things I need to add to the list. Do things leave OmniFocus the moment they enter the bullet journal? No. Things leave OmniFocus when they're done. Okay. Yeah. All right. So now that you've convinced me that bullet journals aren't as bad as they seemed, um, if you just look up bullet journals on like images or yeah. um, the, the Google results after like the first three that are the official bullet journal mm-hmm. website, it's all mommy blogs. Yes all mommy blogs apparently mommy blog is kind of a derogatory term but everywhere that i saw that said it was a derogatory term did not give alternatives so i'm going to use the term mommy blogs because there is a category of the internet that fits in mommy blog yep uh let me scroll down on my extensive mommy blog notes (laughs) oh god Uh, okay i thought we were done but we're not oh no we are getting started okay (laughs) here we go into the breach i'm treading this very thin line because i think it's absurd that like you need a protractor to use all of these things that they're telling you oh just use this uh, this uh habit tracker system that i have set up and then like they've got perfect compassed lines and like i'm saying a, a protractor it's fun okay it's not actually meant to be useful that's not the story they're telling with it, though. Agreed. I agree with I, you on that. I agree that there is a place for having fun with ink and paper, and sometimes it involves a protractor. What you do with ink and paper in your own home <laughs> is up to you, but don't shove it in my face. That's all I'm saying. I, Zach, I think you look, you sought this out. 
I sought this out only because first I typed habit tracker into Google, and the first four results were, here's a habit tracker, and it's a mommy blog. Still, you're looking for a habit tracker, and you were aware that people you have habit trackers as... I wasn't. In their, you said you saw them in, on Instagram and stuff. I saw bullet journals on Instagram, not necessarily as habit trackers. All right. Still, you had the opportunity to leave, but you yes, didn't. I did. You dove in much farther. Correct. <laughs> Well, so initially I didn't. Initially, I was just going to talk about which which habits I'm tracking, which it sounds like you're also tracking habits with something. I'm not tracking them. I'm just doing them because your of effort is awesome. All right. I, I started uh-huh. with a habit tracker. I, I guess I could elaborate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I started with a habit tracker, but then I kept doing them every day. And the habit tracker, all the habit tracker was telling me is that you did it every day. So I just yeah. stopped using the habit tracker. What kind of habits are those? Um, uh, make your bed, uh, I don't know, floss. I, like I Mm -hmm. said, I stopped caring. I just, these are just things I do now. Okay. I agree. I dove into the mommy blog hole. That's on me. (laughs) But now that I have, I'm going to drag you along with me. Oh, good. So a lot of mommy blogs, and this is, this is where I'm conflicted. A lot of them recommend that you use the Loja term 1917. Which I vehemently recommended on this podcast one fortnight ago. Have you turned us into a mommy podcast? (laughs) Did you do that under my nose? Children, for that to be a valid complaint. For everything that I looked up about mommy blogs, there's nothing about guys doing mommy blogs. There was something about how Hillary Clinton blogging as the Secretary of State might be construed as a mommy blog, but nothing about guys being construed as mommy blogs. So I think we're safe. All right, but if we get into a different kind of milk politics, I'm going to be upset. (laughs) Another reason that I ended up down the the mommy blog hole was that a lot of them have lists of habits that you might consider keeping. Um, And I thought, okay, this is a good list to, like, pull from. Right. But a lot Mm -hmm. of them keep track of those, like, 30 habits. Mm Mm-hmm. On a single thing. And and they recommend up to 100 habits wow. that you should keep track of. Um, there was also the quote, I'm sure you can think of tons of things to track. No. Which is not at all how I view that habit of habit tracking or the, the utility of habit tracking. Yeah, definitely not. It's only good for, like, new things, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how I saw it, too. Like, once it wasn't new anymore, it just it's not necessary. Yeah. Ideally, once 30 days are checked off in a row or whatever it is, then mm-hmm. it's a habit you have built. Um, so that that was the first perplexing thing. Some other things I don't understand that they included as habits to consider include pay your bills. It's not a habit. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Uh, no spend, which could be a habit, but also if the goal is to get the habit going every day. Not a good habit. You can't it's do a, that. It's a goal, I guess. It's not not a good goal because it's not entirely obtainable. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to reduce spending, I guess, like, that could be a way to do it, is to mm-hmm. give yourself a little checkbox. Phone backup, blog backup, and computer backup. That should all be automatic. Listed. Correct. This is part of where my complaint about doing doing more things with the bullet journal that could be automatically done by a computer. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Um, keeping track of the last time you changed your toothbrush head or like... All right, I can see that. Which makes sense. Does not make sense as a habit, but I think it makes sense to keep track of. Yeah, I think so too. And cleaning the ceiling fans. 
which you need to remember to do daily, apparently, if you're a mommy blogger. Uh, okay, so one thing about this is that I think if someone has a nice blog and lots of posts, at least at least I do this, I just assume they're an expert mm-hmm. without any actual credentials g- being given. Right. And I think that's what's happening here, where, oh yeah, this is a fantastic idea, let's put that out in the world, without any actual uh, evidence or data to back the, those claims, claims up. So you think they are also assuming they are an expert because they have a nice-looking blog? I think they are at least putting things out there, and people think they're experts, and that fuels their own notion that they should keep making claims. Mm-hmm. And I think, I'm not saying that's, like, always what's happening. There might be some mm-hmm. people who are actually, like, like I don't know what you do. I don't know, like, what a thing that a mommy blogger might be an expert in. Parenting, I, I guess. Yeah, but, like, I think it is parenting. I think a lot of it, very quickly, um, getting into my further research on mommy blogs and not just complaining about mommy blogs bullet journaling, um, is that a lot of them start and it's interesting because it's a community that you get to be a part of and then someone says, hey, you can make money with this or you can get brand deals with this and get free Pampers for a year or whatever if you post something with hashtag Pampers once a month. And that's where I, like, I didn't want to say it out loud, but now that you said it out loud, I'll say it too. Again, these are just, they could just be wild claims in the attempt to make money. In the habit tracking stuff too? Sure. If someone's reading it, you can put advertisements on it. And it doesn't actually have to be good information for people to read it. Right. And that's very cynical. I'm sure that's not the case most of the time. But there are some, and you know there are some, that are like that. Mm -hmm. They're just making stuff up. Yeah. And there's also this like toxic positivity amongst it because now you're trying to get brand deals. So I can do a hundred, I can track all hundred habits that I'm forming because they're all great habits for me to form because I'm a great mother and I'm great and I'm always happy. And if you're not doing this, you're a terrible mother and you're not happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also go buy hashtag Pampers. Exactly. I think the corollary to mommy blogs is entrepreneur blogs that entrepreneur blogs will only make more entrepreneur blogs yeah um do you listen to reply all occasionally uh they had one on um like the instagram stores oh yeah 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 like here's a 50 cent watch uh, eight dollars for shipping though Mm -hmm. uh same idea like you make it you make one if it's successful you make videos on how to do it and then you repeat that until everyone mm-hmm. is making videos about how to do it. So I feel like in the same way, mommy blogs make more mommy blogs. That if you follow a mommy blog very quickly, it'll turn to... And this is how I structure my life so I can run a mommy, mommy blog. Mm-hmm. So this becomes a mommy blog blog. Right. Correct. And then there's a mommy blog blog blog. So this is a mommy blog blog podcast. Now it is. <laughs> <laughs> to finish finish up my thoughts... It comes as a surprise to the Washington Post that women do not want to hear about the private lives of candidates and their fashion choices, and they are much more interested in, for example, fiscal policy. You know, I'm making fun of you for diving too deep into mommy blogs, Mm -hmm. but do not take that to heart. I love these segments where we just get way too deep into a topic. (laughs) So that's my uh, very brief expose on the world of mommy blog blogging. And mommy blog blogging. Yeah. (laughs) And also a quick rant about habit trackers for bullet journals, because I don't understand it and therefore no one should. 
All right. Uh, we have our book club next. If you are following along with us, keep on listening. If you're not, just keep on listening. But you don't have to. Mm-hmm. If you don't want the history, uh, the life and history of Richard Feynman spoiled for you, then you can pause and read up on history, and we'll be here when you get back. Uh, I, I legitimately do think, I know a lot of our listeners um, don't read the book, but listen to the book club. Uh-huh. And we we tell lots of stories. We uh, we mostly talk about the book, but there is a good thirty to forty percent where we're not talking about the book and we're just talking like we are now. We so, gravity assist via the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, even if if you're not planning to read the book, I think you should still listen to the book club. Mm. But if you are planning to read the book and just haven't caught up yet, totally just pause. We'll be here when you get back. So if you are electing not to um, listen along with the book club, you can find me on Twitter. You can yell at me about uh, mommy blogs or why bullet journaling is the best system or um, tell me how your brain works or how uh, economic margins work. I'm actually very interested to know if anybody has any information. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at the puns guy. Uh, and if you want to tell me, about how I should just ruin notebooks because it's fun, or how... It's more fun to ruin the notebook if you do it with a protractor. Yeah. (laughs) Or if you want to tell me about uh, how my bullet journaling system is stupid and I should use yours, or even if you want to tell me that uh, you found a better number than pi to use as a storage method, you can reach me at notstephenberry. A uh, quick addendum, actually, to my uh, call for action. If you want Stephen to make a stationary Instagram, <laughs> or we could do a Worrying Bugs conjoined stationary Instagram. There that you might go. be best. Yeah, uh, you can tweet at either of us to let us know that you want that. Like, I have some, I have some notes that I like use fountain pens and have decent handwriting on and stuff and i could definitely post that kind of thing but there is my bullet journal which is just crap it's black (laughs) ink with terrible handwriting because i just it's all for me and i don't care Mm -hmm. and i'm saying the people need to know steven all right so maybe next fortnight we'll have a stationary instagram set up (laughs) and now on to the book club So, Zach, we read from page 100 to page 199. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to start at the beginning? Yeah. Fizzled oh. Fuses was yeah. the first chapter. What's your favorite gear? I never thought about it before. Um, okay, so in most automatic transmissions for cars, mm-hmm. they they it's not like a manual transmission. You're not like connecting different sets of gears. Okay. It the whole there's a big mechanism and the whole thing turns as the motor goes. And inside mm-hmm. that mechanism there is a set of gears that can be locked and unlocked. So sometimes they'll turn, sometimes they'll they'll not turn, and based on that, they will the the transmission will g- push the tires, push the axles. Mm-hmm. At different speeds, based on or relative to the motor, the engine. Okay, and that's really cool. 
That's my favorite gear. To the whole like gear system. In an automatic transmission, yeah. Of an automatic transmission. All right. My favorite's got to be the Geneva drive, which turns continuous circular motion into discrete circular motion. That's pretty cool. Uh, that's definitely my favorite gear. That's a good one. I did not think about that. Is that the same thing they use in like wristwatches that to make the second hand go tick? Maybe. That would make sense. I really don't know much about it besides <laughs> you can 3D print them and they look cool. Sweet. Uh, I don't like this chapter. Really? Cause, uh, just the ending. Because I was like, okay, how's he going to solve this problem? And then <laughs> at the end, the last sentence is, I decided it was too hard for me and went back to Princeton. Yeah. I wanted to know how they did it, but he doesn't tell you. I think all of the inventions like that, where it's just a intricate series of gears and stuff are insane yeah i agree like i don't i can't even comprehend how they work i feel like i'm at a disadvantage for not understanding gears in the slightest i'm not sure if you're at a disadvantage but you i'm at a disadvantage reading this oh yes yeah probably i'm with you though i didn't understand how it works um i think i my brain is just the solution is always digital, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was like, oh, and then we've got to recalculate for height. And I was like, oh, well, you just make a... You can't make a program to do that, can you? Nope. Just just one little utility function. Nope. <laughs> That's a gear set. And, like, the thing about that is, like, just physical space. Like, mm-hmm. you can write a really, really long program, and it'll still work, even if it's spaghetti code. Right. You can't make spaghetti code in gears. It has to be concise. It all has to fit in the same space. Mm -hmm. So it has to be the most efficient it could possibly be. Yeah. And that's nuts, is all. Yeah. So when he's talking about... um, He he, he talked about crawling on the rug on his hands and and knees, uh, sniffing the rug to see if he could Mm -hmm. tell the difference between where he walked and where he didn't. Yeah. How much do you think a video of this would go for on eBay? Oh, man. Like, if you had a video of Richard Feynman on his hands and knees <laughs> sniffing the ground, <laughs> trying to figure find trails. I'm not sure. I think maybe eBay would be the wrong way to go about it. Probably. Might be easier to monetize as, like, behind a paywall. Because mm, mm-hmm. it's digital, so any amount of people could access it. Right. I'm not sure how much I would pay for that video. I don't think I would pay any money for that video. I'm not interested, but I'm sure someone is. Yeah. And I think the reason I said eBay is because if there's like two people who are interested in this, they can mm. bid against each other because I think it's a, yeah. not a very high percentage of the population is actually interested in it besides its humor. <laughs> They're not actually interested in it enough to pay for it beyond like an advertisement. Right. It was interesting in Los Alamos from below, he mentioned that he didn't think that any science progressed during the war. Yeah, that was weird. Which, yeah, it's just not the usual story that you hear. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that it was coming from a scientist very much involved in the war. Um, He said uh, when they're having fun with the computers, Mm -hmm. they, like, had tables of arctangents, but if you... But the quote is, uh, but if you ever worked with computers, you understand the disease. Yeah. And um, indeed we do. <laughs> My note for that has a hyphen and then, was your domino binary adder 
for anything. Was there a project tied to that? Yes, but I don't think I actually got very much credit for it. <laughs> it was fun, though. Yeah. I, uh, in high school, I set up a bunch of dominoes to calculate um, addition between one and six, I think. I think so. Yeah. So it was fun. I So you basically, the idea was that you would roll a dice and whatever numbers those were, you would knock down those dominoes and it would mm-hmm. get, and via logic gates, you would um, get the right numbers yeah. out. You It would add from, it would knock down the right dominoes from one to 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that was a, a definite moment of computer disease. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> or like even the pie storage thing, like there was no reason for that. I suppose, yeah. And it's especially fun with math stuff because computers are already made for doing math and everything else is just (laughs) really advanced math to get other pieces of life into computers. Yeah, I I thought about this the other day, which is like, in computer science and math, and I'm sure for these are just things I feel that I'm more expert in than other subjects, so I can't speak Mm -hmm. for them exactly, but everything is just levels of abstraction to do more complicated things right so like uh, an integral is just like a level of abstraction upon a derivative derivative Mm -hmm. is just uh you know fancy multiplication yeah i'm working with matrices right now in one of my classes and sal khan always wants to remind you that um matrix multiplication was just like decided by some people some mathematicians (laughs) got together and said okay well matrix multiplication is not going to be commutative but it is going to be i don't associate no it's not associative but whatever it is that order that they decided that matrix multiplication worked wasn't an arbitrary decision but it wasn't like it's not a law of the universe that that's how matrix matrices multiply yeah and it's weird because that's unlike most other maths. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing I like about math, and one the reason I give to people when they ask me why I like math so much, is that math can exist on its own. It doesn't require a universe. It is just a system where you start mm-hmm. off with a few logic uh, assumptions. Right. W- things like... Uh, if A equals B and B equals C, A equals C. Mm-hmm. And you just build off that. 1 plus 1 is 2. 1 plus 2 is 3. And uh, 1 plus 3 is 4. 2 plus 2 is 4 as well. Because 3 minus 1 and 1 plus 1 is 2. And that's just 2 plus 2 and it's 4. Mm-hmm. And anything higher than that, anything higher than addition, is just an abstraction on addition. Yeah. Using logic. So the fact that it applies to things, it can apply to things in the physical universe is just a coincidence, mostly. It was the the whole, the the axioms that it's built off of were reverse engineered from us needing to account for how many sheep we had and stuff. Yes. And, but it didn't need to be, is what I'm getting at. Right. We could have come up with some arbitrary axiom that doesn't apply to anything. And calculus, I mean, the the cool thing about calculus is that it almost only apply it pretty much only applies to things in the real world, mm-hmm. which is why it's really good for physics and computer science and stuff, um, biology, I'm sure. 
Yeah. But there are really, really abstract parts of math that I'm sure we haven't even thought about yet because human brains are not good at thinking about things that are not in the real world. Right. So uh, that's just that part of math really interests me where it, thinking about math as a system outside, independent from anything physical. Mm-hmm. You can hear in my voice that my eyes kind of glazed over because axioms are cool, but I don't have that much patience for math. Come on, Zach. You gotta just I, admit- I agree. Okay. It's really, it's really neat. It's really cool stuff. I can't keep my focus on it for long enough. <laughs> but I think, I mean, somewhat of the same thing applies to computing. So, like, mm-hmm. uh, from what I can tell, all these... I'm learning about data structures in the, this class I'm taking, and they're all just arrays, but with abstraction over them. Not always. Not always, but most of them are just ways okay. to arrange yeah. arrays so that it's more efficient and yeah. easier to find things. So I assume it's just that going up as as well? Yeah. I like, mean, day one, basically, of our data structures class, our professor said, okay, so I'm going to show you all these data structures, and the moment you leave this class, you'll just use whatever Java has implemented by default because they're so much better at it than you could ever pretend to be. Yes. And you use those data structures to make another thing, which probably isn't a data structure, but something else that's cool. And Mm -hmm. someone might use the thing you made to do something else. And you just keep abstracting on top of that until, really, it's not even recognizable as the same thing. Right. Like calculus and arithmetic. Or infinite sums. The heck, man. (laughs) How the heck do infinite sums work? Sometimes they come out to a non-infinite number. The heck? (laughs) non-infinite finite yeah that is that is the word (laughs) math is cool and everyone should learn math because math is cool all right on page 148 he says um because at the beginning i would tell how i opened safes whose contents were bigger and more valuable than what any safe cracker anywhere had opened and he's referring to uh the other books that he's read on safe crackers telling their stories and their conquests i guess mm-hmm. and then he says like so right now he's stealing secrets on the atomic bomb it's not secret to him though because he already knows the information he just needs the paper but yeah so more valuable than anything else except for life of course and I can't, i'm trying to remember where i heard someone someone was arguing like like, a, a common thing to do in uh, Model UN, at least, mm-hmm. is, like, if there's ever human lives at stake and you're asking, a, you know, a 16-year-old politician, like, why won't, why won't you help out the, st- the people who need help? Are you really trying to put a price on human life? Like, they'll ah, just stump okay, them yeah. immediately. They could not, they're, they're <laughs> frozen because they cannot, they actually cannot justify spending that much money on citizens that are not their own. Mm-hmm. because that's not what the country would do but at the same time they can't be like yeah no you can't yeah no i'm gonna say about hundred dollars per head i can justify that much and because if you think about it you they totally do put a price on human life in those types of situations yeah but we just pretend that they don't <laughs> so what's the answer if they prepped you to ask that question they must have also prepped you to answer that question they did not prep me to answer that question or uh it's just something I noticed observing the Model UN. Gotcha. From the inside, I was participating. It was decently fun. Probably do it once, but not do it again kind of thing. 
it's but good I, d- I don't have a good answer i don't know like politically how you would get out of that only time i ever got ready for a model un thing it was as north korea <laughs> and i feel like they would not have a hard time not our citizens not our problem i'm out also our citizens not our problem i'm yeah. out <laughs> literally not kim jong-un not our problem there's a couple higher echelon di- diplomats who yep, also get right. some attention. Uh, so they're talking about the draft in this chapter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know. When I turned 18, 18-year-old males are required to sign up for the draft. Right. Was that something you worried about ever in your life? Not really. Was that something you worried about? I'm I'm fairly certain I have a genetic back condition that got my dad out of the draft and my grandpa out of the draft and my uncle out of the draft. So I'm pretty sure I could just claim that and be fine. Um, I worried about it a little bit. Um, I comforted myself saying things like, uh, I'm probably more useful behind a computer to the military. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, they might disagree, so... And yeah. you still have to go through basic and, like, have your entire personality demolished so they can do with you what they will. <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, probably. Uh, it was more the getting shot at that I was less not a fan of. I could probably be okay in basic. Um, I can follow instructions, and I'm in a pretty good physical condition. Mm. But I de- definitely wouldn't enjoy it, so... I don't know. It was something, not something I was like, uh, like uh, Act- actively worrying about. Yeah, but something it was uh, it was on my mind when I was filling out the forms. Like, how would I fare if there was a war? You had to fill out forms. Yeah, yeah. You had to fill out a. I think it's an online thing, and then you they send you a draft card in the mail. It's required. You get fined if you I don't. I got no. The weird thing is, I got the draft card, but I never filled out anything. <laughs> but I have the draft card somewhere. That's awesome. I'm pretty sure mine's in Rosendale. Yeah, I have no idea where mine is. Okay, well, yeah, you got the card, so I mean, I'm sure someone I have did no it on your idea. behalf. Maybe who? I don't know. Someone who knows your social security number. I was thinking maybe it was, like, automatically done by the school office. Nope. But if you had to do it. Yeah. Oh, man. That's weird. I figure I'll do what he does, and I'll go into, like, the U.S. digital service. And then Feynman got out of it because he was working on a government project. So I could just go work on a different government project and have it be something I actually care about. So he's going to be a professor and... I just want to know, based on how excited you are about how math is arbitrary and you can write your own rules, would you be a professor? Yeah, that's my that's my my number one career choice, actually. Mm-hmm. I just it's school, lots of it. Yeah, PhD. I don't think it's number one for me, but somewhere in computer education is on the list. I think you should not teach it to snot-nosed middle schoolers yeah i wouldn't do middle or elementary school because there's too much of that is like parenting kids and not teaching them things (laughs) i even say that for high school to be honest high school i feel like they're at least more receptive to it sometimes okay when the 
other professor came into his office and asked him if he wanted to be part of their uh, semi-Nazi group. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote, uh, say what you want about old Dick. Uh, at least he wasn't a Nazi. Yeah, <laughs> there is that. Gotta be glad about that, at least. Yep. Then he goes to the dance. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently he looks like a freshman, because that's what people were asking him if he was. Yeah. And I'm just wondering what he thinks he's going to do there. It seems like he has a clear intention. But at the same time, he, like, doesn't. Because he, his action by going to the dance conflicts with the action of not doing anything past that being awkward pl- making uh people feel uncomfortable um and the like general i'm richard Feynman and i'm smarter than you attitude i think that might have been he might have heard oh go to the dance it's a way to get girls and he thought i can just be me but at a dance and i will get girls i uh i did not like this chapter it made I me didn't really like uncomfortable the whole segment most of the section i was not yeah Blah, blah, blah. Perceiving the past through the lens of the present is never an accurate way to judge actions. Blah, blah, blah. It makes me feel uncomfortable. (laughs) It makes me feel uncomfortable as well. In a way that I have not felt studying history before. Most of our history books, especially in Wisconsin, are ashamed in a way that he does not seem to be. Good point. And yeah, now that I think about it, it's always like when uh, Johann Somerville, the best history professor at UW-Madison, mm-hmm. uh, teaches me about how uh, Queen Elizabeth was not respected in Parliament because she was a woman. Mm-hmm. He always says it like, it's a bad thing, mm-hmm. which is correct. But yeah, I guess he just, Richard Feynman doesn't feel bad about the things he did in the past. He doesn't say... I probably shouldn't have gone to that dance. It was inappropriate. <laughs> I shouldn't have tried to flirt with the undergrads. As a professor. As because, a professor. I mean, nowadays there are rules on the books about that. Yeah. I had to read them as a student employee. Uh, speaking quick of Queen Elizabeth, it was funny because um, I believe it was a one of the German kingdoms sent an ambassador to England for some purpose or another. Mm-hmm. And he was... Of course, against a female monarch. Right. So, but he expressed these concerns to Parliament in Latin because he assumed that Elizabeth couldn't understand because she's a woman and not well-educated. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, Elizabeth is was fluent in Latin. She could speak okay. it like, as a language. <laughs> mm-hmm. She could... Um, so not only could she understand, she could formulate a response quickly, faster <laughs> than he could. And then she started talking to him in German or whatever Germain language he was speaking. She was a very well-educated woman and very smart. Which you would hope of a queen. Yeah, that's not the case, unfortunately, for a lot of the monarchs of England. I mean, to be fair, so many monarchs of England were like 14. So (laughs) (laughs) you hold them to a different standard. You just rail on their advisors then, mostly. Mm -hmm. On the next chapter... um... He, he was talking about his classes that he started by just stepping in and looking up and saying, any questions? Yeah. I th- I have a professor who does that exact thing. I think it's a physics thing. I've heard, 
Is it a physics class? No, it's not. It, it was okay. um, software engineering, and it was the same professor as I had for C, okay. C++. Yeah, I, I've heard of um, physical science teachers doing that a lot, where they come in, ask any question, doesn't matter, I'll answer them. doesn't have to be about physics necessarily, but try to keep it on topic. Yeah. Well, the the thing is, all of the like annoying smart aleck kids are in computer science. Yes. So when the computer science professor would walk in and say, any questions? Somebody in the front would be like, what's the meaning of life? Mm-hmm. And be like, God, why do you make me do this? 42, moving on. Yeah. So at some point, the bartender remembers his regular, the black and white with water on the side. Mm-hmm. Is there anywhere that you have a regular? Is there anywhere like that someone knows your regular, I should say? Not that you have one. I really try and make... Huh, okay, so halfway through the sentence, I really try and make a concerted effort not to have a regular. I remembered that I do have one um, at the coffee shops on campus. Mm. The employees kind of rotate through, and there's a couple who know that the way that I get my London Fog when I get it. So I don't always go in. Sometimes I need more caffeine than that. So, wait, wait. Uh, is it a special way to do it? Uh, yeah, I get it all soy. Oh, okay. That was less in- interesting than I thought it was going to be. I thought yeah, you were going to... No. Have you seen the the meme where the Starbucks cup is like three stickers long? The order? Yeah. Yeah. I was hoping for something like that, but okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's just I get a all soy London fog. So there's a couple who I will walk up to and they'll say all soy London fog and I'll say yep. But then sometimes I'll also say nope. And I enjoy that I don't always say yep because I don't like having that ingrained of habits like when i went to subway in rosendale because there are two restaurants in all of rosendale and one of them is subway uh when i would go there i would make a conscious effort to not order the thing that i had last time Hmm. so usually it was bouncing between a few that i knew i liked but never the same one okay do you have a regular um i do but the i make sure that no one knows what it is (laughs) what well when they start to say things like you get the caramel twist right i say nope nope i get the vanilla latte okay for similar reasons because i but if like the next time i go and it's a different uh a different uh barista you get the car- caramel I'll, twist. I might get the caramel twist. Depends. I mean, it depends on how I'm feeling, but I like the caramel twist, mm-hmm. which is just a caramel macchiato. They just call it something different. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, so then there's Ask Them, which is about Richard Feynman being a sexist and at the risk of virtual, sig- vir- virtual signaling. That's not a thing. At the risk of virtue signaling. Gross. Gross, gross, gross. Gross. On to lucky numbers. Yep. Uh, it, it, there's not much more to say. I don't like it. This Parts of this book make me uncomfortable, and that's, we can leave it at that. Uh, yesterday, I was at a party, and someone had like GPS coordinates tattooed on them. Because okay. that's just a thing a lot of people get. It's like, oh, it's where I was born, or it's where I grew up, or... Sure. First, you know, whatever. And I feel like it would be a good thing the way that richard Feynman knows oh well the log base 2 of e is 0.17 it would be good to know 
which continent the first numbers of a GPS okay. pair okay. Yeah. would land you in. Probably. I feel like that'd be good trivia information. Yes, I agree. You should do the same thing with IP addresses. Right. Until we switch over to V6, because those are ugly. They're not ugly. They're actually really nice. They're really elegant. That's one thing that I've learned from this Cisco class, is they are pretty decently concise, but they're still a lot more verbose than I would like to memorize. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. And I was thinking about something, and I didn't put it on the podcast, and I meant to. So we're going to talk about it now. Okay. Uh, TGP Grey on... Hello Internet? Yeah, it was definitely Hello Internet. Uh, was talking about tattoos. Mm-hmm. And how he thinks he must think about tattoos differently than yeah. people who get tattoos. But basically saying things like um, that people who get tattoos seem to want to commemorate a time in their life when they were into a thing or where something mm-hmm. important happened and they want whatever it was tattooed on their body yeah and so they were they got into this discussion because someone uh tattooed a was it uh gear and was the nailing gear nailing gear uh onto their arm just the one of the podcast's logos basically Mm -hmm. and he he said he doesn't think like that he thinks well am i going to like this in the future and the Mm -hmm. answer is i you have no idea which is right yeah uh, not in thinking about that, I was thinking, well, that's kind of how I think about it too. And I have a tattoo, and I had to make that decision. I so for you, it was uh, no. I definitely thought about: Am I going to like this in thirty years? Am I going to like yeah. this in fifty years? Am I going to like con- this? confident enough that I will know? Yeah, and the answer was yes, obviously, because I got the tattoo. And um, this is interesting. I guess it's because uh, I'm not the. I don't have the way of thinking that... It's just a snapshot in time. Yeah. It's not a snapshot of time. It's, um, it's a, a statement. Yeah, I guess. But more <laughs> of a... But not even a statement about a point in time. It's just continuous. Uh, that's the idea, at least. Mm-hmm. But I think the other justification I could use, which is not something I thought about while getting the tattoo, it's not... But it, this is an after-the-fact kind of thinking... Okay. If at some point I end up not liking math enough to get a tattoo, I could I could say like that I was thinking that way. I was thinking that oh well at this point in my life I love math and <laughs> this is from this is oh this is a memory me. from a point in time when I thought that I would love math forever. Well, that's so what it, that's what it would actually be. But I could say to myself and to others that it was a time in my life where it was important. It was important to me, and that is good enough for a tattoo for the people who get yeah. tattoos. Which is probably a reason that I'm not planning to get another tattoo. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of things that are like that for me. If you have tattoos and want to let Stephen know why you have tattoos, <laughs> you can reach him on Twitter. At not Stephen Barry. I actually want to talk a little bit more about lucky numbers. Oh, okay. Uh, just just a little bit, because I thought, did you actually like follow him in these logic, like these approximations? No, I just kind of acknowledged that there were numbers that he was using yeah. that I didn't have in my head. Yeah. Um, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It, this is not a good thing to do. This is not a useful way to spend your time memorizing these numbers. 
Especially not now. Yeah. Yeah, when calculators were mechanical, fine. But, like... Okay, that's all I had to say. It's just <laughs> kind of ridiculous how he memorized these numbers and tried to approximate other completely unrelated numbers. Mm-hmm. I am at not Stephen Barry on Twitter. So <laughs> if you want to tell me how uh, that I'm wrong, I am wrong. And this is a very useful skill that everyone should learn. Please do. I'm interested. If you are fed up with my virtue signaling, I can't say that word. Apparently, I'm just bad at saying that word. <laughs> It's your privilege. Uh, it's blocking your tongue <laughs> from saying it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you think I need to get uh, vocal lessons so I'm better at <laughs> saying the word virtue as a f- the phrase of virtue signaling, you can uh, sponsor us on Patreon so I can afford those vocal lessons. And you can also uh, tweet at me at the puns guy. Until next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.